Welcome to the Flourish Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode as we learn, grow, and flourish together as a community of women. Hi there, this is Penny. I'd like to talk today about a chapter from my book entitled The Power of a Pure Conscience. I wrote a book a little over a year ago entitled Love, Leadership, and Influence with the subtitle of The Power of Transforming Relationships. And the very first chapter I wrote about was The Power of a Pure Conscience. To me, having a pure or a blameless conscience is vital. I just can't do without that. I don't want to have nagging issues hanging around in my heart and my mind that distract me, that irritate me, hinder my peace, hinder my effectiveness, that just keep me on edge. I don't want to have that stuff just hanging in my heart. I talk in that chapter about my early life as a Christian. I had started Bible school when I was 17 years old, and I only stayed a couple of weeks mostly because I was so insecure that I could not handle the relational stress. After that time, I struggled to believe that I could be right with God at all. I experienced, at first, a full-on depression for just feeling the level of disappointment that I thought that I had disappointed God so severely. And I felt like the only way that my conscience could ever be right again was if I would march myself right back to that school and re-enter and say, I I messed up and I failed God and I need to come back. But that was so terrifying to me that I couldn't bring myself to do it. So instead, I just suffered, thinking in my mind the whole time that God's disappointment and his disapproval would follow me from then on, that it, it would be part of my life. I would never be okay with God. Thankfully, my mother had some dear friends, older ladies that were uh, just great influences in my life, and my mother as well. And they just kind of ministered to me and encouraged me and counseled me. And after a few months, the depression lifted. However, the sense of insignificance that I have always battled, that remained. Thank God that throughout my life, I have learned to become aware of God's heart in such a way that I no longer live under that dark cloud or that feeling like I can't please God or that my conscience is always impaired. Instead of approaching God the way I did back years ago was with always kind of a, oh God, attitude when I started my prayer. Now I do what the Bible says, and I come boldly into the throne of grace. I have come to live a life that I would describe as living under the smile of God, which means that I have realized I am his beloved on my good days and on my bad days. And let me say, I don't share about this topic to inspire everyone to feel like they're what my mom would say is the cat's meow or that they can do no wrong. Obviously, we're very flawed and frail people. I am flawed and frail in so many ways. There are moral absolutes that are in the Bible that instruct us in how to live in such a way that pleases and honors God, and I'm not discounting that, or saying that living with the fruit of righteousness in our life doesn't matter. That's not what I am communicating here whatsoever. What I am saying is that 
Trying to prove ourselves to God or people is not the way God has chosen to change and perfect our hearts or our lifestyles. Instead, he created a place of safety, a refuge, and it's called his unconditional love and empowers us to live a life that reflects his character. It's a safe place. It's a place of hope and ability. We can't walk around with a sense of worthlessness or heaviness and think that we're pleasing God by our lowly self-perception. Any more than the people who have practiced self-flagellation in order to please God would do so. There are actually people that would beat themselves bloody in order to atone for their own sins and to make it make themselves feel like they were somehow making atonement or getting things right with God. And really, sometimes when we have this deep self-disdain or, or constant condemnation, we think that we're being humble and that we're somehow pleasing God by disliking ourselves or feeling like a loser or feeling like, oh, I'm just not anywhere near perfect. I'm so bad. And obviously, we're not perfect. But God doesn't want us walking around that way. Hebrews 10.1 starts off by saying, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of them, can never make perfect those who draw near. And then verse 16 through 18 goes on to say, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. And their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. And verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's how we live with a pure conscience. We draw near. We stay near. We learn how to keep finding that place, that refuge, that place where he has covered all our sins and where we're constantly being cleansed and constantly being forgiven because we're going to fail. We're going to fall short on every single day. We're going to do that. But when we understand that being near him makes all the difference, then we're in a good place. At some point, we have to say what he did was enough. And I refuse to see myself any other way than from that perspective. This has become so vital to my life as a Christian, as a wife, as a mom, as a friend, just hiding in that refuge, hiding in that place that knowing what he did for me was enough. I am righteous because of that. And the word of God is full of that sentiment, full of those verses that explain that to us in detail. If you know me at all, I'm sure you've heard me share the story that happened, oh, probably, let's see, it would be 23, 24 years ago. We lived in a farm in a little town called Ligonier, and we lived at the bottom of the hill, and I would walk up to the top of the hill a lot of times and spend time with the Lord. It was precious. I loved those days. I loved those times of just seeking God on top of that hill. The scenery was beautiful. But a lot of times I would still question 
God, how do you see me? And I remember one day in particular, him trying to reinforce to me that he saw me as his daughter. And he said, I'm a king that makes you a princess. And I want you to see yourself that way. Not to be arrogant, not to be high and mighty, but to understand that because of what I've done, you've become a princess to me. And having been raised without a dad and again, struggling with that whole self-esteem issue, that whole insignificant thing. It, it was, it's a hard concept. It was a hard concept for me to grab hold of. So finally, after a while, maybe an hour or so, I headed back home and God, in the way only God could, created a dynamic and a situation that just kind of blew my mind. Daniel, our youngest, was two at the time, and he was a darling little blonde-headed boy, and out he ran to greet me as I was, you know, 30, 40 feet away from the back door. And he just ran and jumped up and into my arms and looked me right in the eye and said, my princess. And literally, I was incredibly shocked. And, and I said, what did you say? This, he was two years old. He said, he repeated it. He said, my princess. And clearly, he had never said anything like that up until this point. But it was a clear sign to me that God was trying to reiterate and to show me that I had indeed heard his voice on top of that hill. And that is indeed how he sees us. And it's pretty amazing. But nonetheless, when we embrace that and choose to live like that, we are honoring him. We're not being prideful. We're honoring him. We're honoring what he paid the price for. And so it's so important. I, I fight for that. I fight to remain under his smile by keeping my heart soft and vulnerable and by knowing that he's the one who changes me. I can't do it, but he does. But he does it best from that place of security, of love, of the umbrella of his smile where I know this is a safe place and I can let you change me, God. I can open up those vulnerable spots, those painful spots, those awkward things, those things that have plagued me. I can become, bring them bare before you without trying to pretend or put up a wall or a pretense. The more I understand that I'm the beloved, the more I'm able to live a life that touches others. I don't want to walk around and live in some bubble of self-love. That's not my objective. That's not my goal. I want to be free to be impactful and to live life the way he planned for me to live. In 1 Peter 1, 2, we are told that we will have peace and grace, and grace means ability, by having true, accurate, intimate knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know, we have to learn what he really says about himself in the Bible and about his relationship with us, and then we have to be consistently undeterred in this knowledge, refusing to buy into lies, holding our head high, because we are his child, because of what he's done for us, because he's covered everything that we need for life and godliness. He's got it covered every single situation, every possible area where he would want us to love someone or impact them or, or touch their life. He has made a way for us to be able to do that. That allows us to let go of performance and take hold of his hand instead. I'm going to end with the most practical lesson in all of this is found in, in one of my very 
favorite theme verses that I have reiterated in my Bible on my flyleaf, and uh, it's just very important to me. And it starts off with a question I used to ask God, and it's Jeremiah 15, 18, and 19. And the 18 says, why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? And it goes on to say something about that, are you a deceptive stream to me? Like I'm supposed to believe in you, but yet this wound won't go away. This pain is perpetual. And it, it kind of was somewhat of a cry of my heart for many years. Like, why can't I change? Why do I have this insecurity? Why do I always feel less than? Why do I always not feel safe? But then in verse 19, and this is from the Amplified, he says, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return to me and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety, and you will be my minister. And if you separate the precious from the vile, cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness, you will be my mouthpiece. That's where I live my life, returning and remembering to give up any mistaken tone of distrust or despair, any unworthy or unwarranted suspicions about his faithfulness. I return again and again when I find myself thinking crazy thoughts or thoughts that are just so defeating and incapacitating. I have to come to the point where I'm willing to return and give them up and say, what am I doing? I'm having distrust and despair. And that's a mistaken tone. And he promises us I'll have quiet, safety, peace. But more than that, I'll be his minister and his mouthpiece. That's who I want to be. I want to represent him well. And the best way to do that is to stay close to his heart, stay under his smile, acknowledge, recognize, live like you're his beloved. Don't take anything less than that. Fight for that. Don't buy into the lies. And I just want to encourage you to fight for that freedom in your life. Fight for that place. It's an awesome place. It's a place that's so empowering and allows you to be his minister, to impact others, to love well. He wants you to know that you're his beloved. If you're a woman, you're his princess. If you're a man, you're his prince because he is the king. Thank you so much for joining me today. Love you. Thanks for listening to the Flourish Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. For more information about Flourish, our annual conference, or to join our community of women, visit nrpflourish.com. See you next time.